I'm going to do an in-depth study here, uh, if the Lord permits, in time. Uh, this Obviously, we would never finish this study, given the time constraints of being a snowbird, but it's probably about 50 weeks worth of study here. And it, this is probably one of the most fascinating subjects in all of Scripture to me, regarding the tabernacle. We're, we're going to park ourselves on Exodus chapter 25, if you have your Bibles. Exodus chapter 25. Hopefully you can hear me. I'm not overbearing. But in, I'm going to give you a little background as to why I've done an in-depth study on the tabernacle. Just going to give you some insight as to what, what drew me to this study. About 20 years ago, believe it or not, I may have taught, uh, started to teach this when I was here at Gospel, but and this may actually go back into the 90s. And I've been studying it. Every time I dig deeper, I find more truths, more golden nuggets. This is an incredible, fascinating study. And um, what caught my attention is typically when I was reading in the book of Exodus, uh, I would get to Exodus chapter 25, and then from that point on, it was laborious, difficult, challenging scripture to read. And there's so much detail and instructions regarding the tabernacle that, you know, it was easy to just kind of skim over and speed read. But I got to thinking about this after several times of reading through this, like God's committed himself to, 20, to at least 12 chapters on the tabernacle. But yet when I go back to Genesis, he committed himself to two chapters on the creation. I said to myself, I went down to the local bookstore and I said, you know, I want to find some stuff information on the tabernacle. And I go over to the, you know, to the area of the books and there was book after book after book on creation. I went over and there were just a few books on the tabernacle. And I said to myself, you know, it seems like when God emphasizes something, man doesn't. When man emphasizes something, like the creation, God doesn't. I said, man, this thing warrants my commitment to study in detail, all the details, to see what God's really teaching us out of the tabernacle. And to my amazement, the more I dug into the tabernacle, the more I realized incredible truths one after another that, you're gonna, that I hope to share with you over the course of the next few months, given our time constraints. But I think you're going to find that just about every major uh, doctrine fundamental to our faith is found in the study of the tabernacle. And so the details matter. And I will have a lot to share with you about the details further in this study, but I just kind of want to give you an introduction here. I've been reading through these details, and admittingly, it's exhausting at times. Most people are just going to skim over it. And it, yes, it is even boring. That's why most people just don't take time to study the tabernacle. But what I remember is reading through all the details. I mean, you start reading about badger skins and dyed skins and lavers and, and uh, uh, rings and staves and cubits. And the details just go on and on. And you think to myself, what is he getting to? Why is this important to me? And then I remember the words of our Savior in Matthew 4.4. 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word doth man live. Every word. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. I said, well, 
These words have meaning. They have purpose. He put them there for our learning, our comfort, our patience. And of course, you'll see how this plays out with understanding New Testament doctrine. Every word here has a purpose, I believe, as you'll, you'll see this play out. But I'm going to admit to you that at times this, is, this might be dull and just average reading because you're going to skim over it. But dull, boring, uh, laborious. But you know, I thought to myself, isn't that a picture of life? The Word of God is a picture of life itself. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us the Word of God is quick and powerful. The word quick means it's alive, it's living. So it is a picture of life itself. And we all have seasons which are dull and laborious and repetitive, but that's exactly what we get in the study of the tabernacle. Now hopefully what I share with you is not dull, laborious, and boring. But there, if you're to read it on your own, I challenge you to do that, you'll find there'll be, there'll be portions of, Exodus chapter 25 through Exodus chapter 40, that you'll find that to be true. There's not much to the tabernacle when you were to look at it, and this always fascinated me. Let's see if I can get this thing to, to move forward. Give me a sec here. Wendy? I've got it on here. There we go. Just came up. All right, I got to go back one. There we go. So this is an actual uh, picture of the tabernacle that was built uh, by a group of people in the wilderness. And when you look at that, you don't see much, do you? Now just think about what God did. He took what two million people, put them, placed them in the middle of the wilderness, nowhere to go, barren, dry, dusty, and then He had them build this tabernacle, and when you look at it, there's just nothing appealing from the outside. As an Israelite, for sure, looking out, there's nothing appealing to that. What can we learn from just looking at that? Isaiah 53, verse 2. There was no form or comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And yet that tabernacle is one of the greatest pictures in the Old Testament of Christ himself. Every instrument will speak volumes of Christ, his ministry, his person, his glory. But from the outside, you don't see much. But when you get into the details, that's when you see the person and work of Jesus Christ. But it's not only going to talk about Jesus Christ and teach us about his work and his ministry, his person. It's going to teach us about us and our walk as believers. There's great truths here that you get into the, the laver. What, what was the purpose of the laver? You go into the holy place. If I go to the next picture, if I can get this thing, this thing keeps con disconnecting for whatever reason, Wendy. I'll just keep trying. You'll see here that you get into this known as the holy place. So you, you know, most of the work took place right in this area. But then the priest got to go into this area. And of course, the, whole, the holy place, the most holy place, this is the holy place, this is the most holy place. That's where God dwelt. That was the presence of God in the midst of his people. That, that'll be the heart of this study uh, 
as we go further. But there you see the Shekinah glory. You saw the original picture I had up here where it would uh, fire by night, smoke by day. But you see there that right away you, you'll see a lot of this ha has teachings regarding our truths, our walk with Christ. But if you look at that, something should stand out right away to you. That's just a tabernacle, one tabernacle. But what's it made of? Three major components. You got the outer, you got the holy place, and then you got the most holy place. It's a so that tabernacle is a picture of Christ or God Himself as a tripart nature. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. You can learn from this, and we're going to do an in-depth study of this as well, that we are a, a tabernacle made of three. Body, soul, and spirit. And so God is going to teach a lot in regards to the Trinity here. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, let us make man in our, plural, image. God speaking, let us, speaking to the Son and to the Spirit, the Father speaking to the Son, let us make man in our image. So man is a tabernacle. Peter talks about it. He's going to put off his tabernacle. Paul talks about this tabernacle. If it were dissolved, we'd have a place in heaven, a body in heaven. So there's a reference to the tabernacle in the Old Testament as a tripart in nature. We are tripart in nature body, soul, and spirit. So these are things you start to pick up as you study something that typically is just boring. And what is it, what, what, what's the big deal about a tent in the wilderness? Oh, it's a lot. Amazing stuff will come forth as we study this out. Bear with me here as we continue to work through the technical difficulties. I'm used to them, by the way. 35 years with Sheryl Williams, I had plenty of technical difficulties. Yeah, if you can, Wendy, that'll help. So this is one of the most the pivotal, pivotal verses, I think, to help us here get started. Because what the tabernacle will teach us and the instruments and all the details that are referenced in the tabernacle all have something to teach us in a type or a figure. And I'm going to conclude with one of the more important figures in the Old Testament that point to the New Testament. But here we see the words of our Savior speaking, by the way, to the doctors of his day, the doctors of Scripture, the Pharisees, who, by the way, were unbelievers. Because when he speaks to them in these verses in chapter 5, you know, he is eternal life. And he's speaking to those that claimed to have eternal life, but yet they missed it and they were staring him in the face. And he says these words to him. He says, search the scriptures. And you're the doctors. You're the one teaching and preaching and guiding your people. And you ought to be searching the scriptures. Deep students of scripture, dig deep. For in them, the scriptures, you think you have eternal life, but they... The scriptures are they which testify of me. They do? Where? I don't remember Jesus' name anywhere. Basically, I mean, I understand it in reference to God the Father. But his name's not, is not found often. 
in a direct manner in the Old Testament? How is it it's testifying of him? In what manner is it testifying? In what way? Well, he says, for had you believed Moses, and what did Moses? Moses wrote the first five books. He wrote about the tabernacle. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me. Why? He wrote of me. So when I study the tabernacle, I am truly studying about Christ and his ministry, his person, his work, his glory, and how it affects us. And so, again, he's teaching us that the Old Testament has his work, his name, stamped all over it. We just have to search the scriptures to see it come to life. In fact, the Old Testament and the New Testament go hand in hand. It's just hard to believe today, and there are many modern evangelicals that will teach you and tell you the Old Testament really isn't worth the time. And I have heard people tell me this, that they're in these churches, personally what their pastor would say about the Old Testament and being shocked. They are missing out. It's, first of all, I can't believe, because they're already denying what the Savior just told them. Because he's not referring to the New Testament. He's referring to the Old Testament. He said, search it, because in it is me testifies. He wrote of me. And we'll see that as we conclude. And so the Old Testament is important and it goes hand in glove with the New Testament. So for me to learn a lot of the New Testament, I can learn it from the Old Testament. Which is a contradiction of what many are teaching today, unfortunately. So moving forward. So the tabernacle, I'm going to read these verses, 8 and 9 out of Exodus, says, and let them make me a sanctuary. Now he's giving instructions to Moses. He says, I want a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That's a loaded statement. Can you imagine the God of creation, holy, perfect, and righteous, wants to dwell and be present with an ungodly group of people who didn't even really know him. But yet he says, I want you to make that sanctuary because I want to dwell with them. It's always God moving first in our lives and God wanting us. And so we see here that as he gives these instructions in verse 9, he says, according to all that I will show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle. So he says, in the pattern of all the instruments, those are the things I showed you within each of those, comp each of those components, even so shall you make it. So after the tabernacle, wait a minute, there is no tabernacle, but he's telling them to make a tabernacle after the tabernacle. What God is saying is, I've got a tabernacle in heaven, and I want you to make it one on the earth like the one in heaven. So let's see how this plays out in Scripture to see if that's true. Verse chapter, or chapter 9, or verse 24 in Hebrews says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. The tabernacle we're reading about was made with hands. But Christ entered into the holy places that weren't made by hands, which are the figures of the true. The tabernacle is a figure, a picture of something that's real in heaven, true. 
And he says, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Next verse. Hebrews 8, verse 1. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum or the summary. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister, speaking of Christ, our high priest, a minister of the sanctuary and of the, what's it say? True tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. Now let's look at the next verse. This is Isaiah chapter 6. I, we, could, we could park here and probably spend the rest of the morning on just this alone. So I'll do my best to try to get through as quick as possible. Isaiah 6, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Now this is obviously in heaven. This is a picture of God on His throne. It's actually Jesus Christ on the throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple like the gown. As a king, a royal king, his train filled the what? The temple, the tabernacle, sanctuary, and temple all have are inter interchangeable. They all have the very same meaning: sanctuary, tabernacle, and temple. And above it stood the seraphims. They had six wings. They covered their face. You see their feet, and they did fly. Interesting that they, why they covered their face? Most likely because of the holiness of God. In verse three, and one cried to another, said, "What did they say?" Holy, holy, holy. There it again, smack in the middle of it is the Trinity. Why are they saying holy, holy, holy three times? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of His glory. And the post of the door, so if you were to study out the tabernacle, we're not in this part yet, but as you entered in, there were the posts, there were four posts to enter in. And there were a lot of details regarding those posts. But the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Remember, this is in heaven. So you have a temple, you have the, the door post, but it gets better. More detail comes. And obviously Isaiah knows he's in trouble. Woe is unto me, I'm undone, because he's in the presence of holiness, and he understands his, he is not holy. So he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. In verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, and having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. So there's an altar in heaven that's burning with a sacrifice with tongs taken off to cleanse the lips of Isaiah. This isn't happening on the earth. This is happening in heaven. So we learn from when God said, make the tabernacle after the true tabernacle, after the tabernacle. He's referring to the tabernacle in heaven. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 19, another instrument's mentioned here. Obviously one we're all, all familiar with. The temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple, his temple, not the earthly temple, his temple, the ark of, the tes of his testament. Well, you can see the context. The temple of God was opened in heaven. And then the Ark of the Testament was present. People all are battling today. Where's the Ark of the Covenant? Where's the Ark? Well, this is future reference. It would tell me that the Ark is in, in the presence of God in heaven. Next verse. 
Revelation 8, verse 3, another angel came and stood at the altar, hmm, having a golden censer, another one of the instruments that were found in the holy place. And there was given unto him much incense that she, he should offer with it the prayers of all saints. And by the way, this, is, this context is in heaven. He said that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. So once again, in heaven, you have the throne, and you have this golden, this golden altar, which is where the incense, which was offered up as prayers. And there's a lot there we'll hopefully get to cover in regards to what was the purpose of the golden altar. Now, let me share with you this, this idea of figures and types. There, the, the scriptures are just loaded in the Old Testament with things that point to the New Testament. And so this is one of the best examples that we're going to start off with to help you understand this idea of types and figures. So I'd like to, if you would, turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter uh, 17. And if you have time, Exodus chapter 7, you can go to Numbers. I can, I'm going to summarize this for you, but at least you have the, there's, I don't have it up there, but Numbers, I believe it's chapter 20. Give me a minute here to look myself. Yes, Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 through 13. We won't cover all these verses, but I want to kind of... So Exodus chapter 17, 1 through 7, and then Numbers chapter 20, and then that will be verses 9 through 13. So an example. So as we read here in verses... Uh, in Exodus chapter 17, we'll read in verse 6. Behold... I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock. So God is giving specific instructions to Moses of what to do in a time where his people were literally dying because they haven't had any water. He's about to teach them a lesson of God being able the one to provide what is we would refer to as the water of life. But here... He gives them instructions what to do, Moses. He says, smite the rock, and then now shall come water out of it. I think, And then the people will drink. It's really important. He's giving him something that we said, and Jesus said, when Moses wrote of me, or the scriptures testify of me, he wrote of me. He's writing of Jesus Christ right in this verse. So in Numbers chapter 20, they're in the same situation. God's people are in the same. They are dehydrated. They haven't had any water. They're in desperate need of water. And we know in this case of here, Moses takes the rod and he smites the rock. And what happened? Outflowed the waters for the people to live. But now we forward, fast forward, in Numbers chapter 20, we have a similar situation brewing. God's people are just, let's just say Moses isn't pleased with his people. They whine, they complain, they're rebellious. His temper is getting the best of him. He gets into this situation, God says, Moses, or I want you to speak to the rock. Whoa, 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 hold on now. First time, I want you to smite the rock. But this time, I want you to speak to the rock, and out will flow waters of life, rivers of water. 
Why the difference between smiting the rock and speaking to the rock? And what did Moses do the second time? He did absolutely what God told him not to do. He took the rod, he not only smit it one time, but he hit it again. And God said, for that Moses, you're not going into the promised land. Now, for a, just a brief moment, Moses was never going to go into the promised land. You say, why? Because Moses represented the law. And God would never let the law get you into the promised land. So Moses, may have, we always say, how harsh for God, for all that he did, to promise him all that and say, you don't get to go for smiting a rock twice? Something's not adding up. But God knew. In type, I can't let Moses, the law giver, go into the promised land because the law will never get you to the into the promised land. It would be faith. So back to why smite and then speak. Because that was a picture of God the Father smiting the Son on the cross. And when He was crucified and risen, John chapter 7, verse 37, tells us that when He would be glorified, out would flow rivers of living water. So Christ would have to be resurrected, and the Holy Spirit would come to indwell, and then out would flow rivers of living water. So it was a picture of Christ's crucifixion, the Father smiting the Son, and then the second time, Christ wasn't crucified a second time. You speak to the rock, and it flows rivers of living water. Christ, in Hebrews chapter 10, was crucified once for our sins. Not every week, not every month. He was crucified one time. And that type, God preserved, it was so important to him that he said, Moses, don't you dare smite the rock a second time. Because Christ, my son, you say, well, how does it all have to do with Christ? As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. In Deuteronomy, the Bible says, the rock, capital R, begat thee. I didn't know rocks could give birth. But there it says, their rock, small r, is not as our rock, capital R. God refers to his self in the Old Testament as the rock. And along comes Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4, and says, and that rock, capital R, was Christ. So you see how God takes figures and types and he preserves them even to the point where we see the lessons learned from Moses smiting it twice as a, as a punishment because it didn't fit the type. Amazing. And this just goes on and on and on as we get into the, the details of this entire study. So with that, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll pick up a, all the other good stuff next week. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for a wonderful time this morning. Thank you for fellowship, for the Word of God. We pray you, Lord, help us to feast on this spiritual buffet of, of your truths, Lord. Help us to better understand with insight that the Holy Spirit can teach us, Lord. Thank you for your people. Thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. And may you bless this morning's worship service as Christ is lifted up as we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.